think we ought to do the preaching first and the singing next. That way the bar is... All I got to do is beat Ron in the welcoming. That's all I got to. That's all I got to come back. That's all I have to get past is just Ron. And then I, no offense, Ron, but I, I think I can take you on some days. Some days I can't. But you know, I, trying to follow something like that. Thank you, Courtney, for leading that last song, and thank you, Alicia, for reading scripture for us this morning. Thank you, Greg, and those that lead us in worship every single Sunday morning, and you men that uh, help us take up the offering. We're just so blessed as a church to have so many people that are willing to come and to serve and to contribute to the life of the church. I hope you have a Bible with you this morning and come in with a Bible. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have spent quite a few weeks uh, through the book of Joshua and we finished that up last Sunday looking at the book of Joshua and looking at what success looks like in the world today. And so um, this morning we're just going to pivot a little bit and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're unfamiliar because I've had you in the Old Testament for the last six months and you're not familiar with where First Peter is at, feel free. Use your table of contents. It's going to be towards the back of the New Testament, but you'll be First Peter, Second Peter, um, but we're going to be in First Peter chapter 1, and hopefully when you came in, also on the back of the bulletin, there'll be some notes if you want to use that, kind of a fill in the blank manner, but uh, you'll have those notes behind you, or the, they'll, they'll be behind me on the screen as well as in front of you if you want to kind of reference those as we work through God's Word together. If I was just to simply ask you a question about who you are, I think a lot of us would have different ways of answering that question. A lot of times, um, the circles that I run with, you'll meet somebody and then inevitably the question will come up, what do you do? And the question they're asking, or the question that is being asked is, what do you do as a vocation? What do you do for a job? What do you do so that you can pay your bills and that you can afford the things that you prioritize in your life? And the question comes up, what do you do? And that's a way of identifying who that person is with the advent of social media. Now you have a profile, and now you come up with an identity of who you are, what you do. And right now, we're living in a day and age that identity is a huge thing. Everybody wants to come up with their own specific identity. I think, I'm not on Facebook, but uh, I think last thing I heard about Facebook is they have over 60 different ways of identifying who you are. And in a society that we live in, you are bombarded with people that they look one thing on the outside, but they say, well, I'm going to identify as such, or I'm going to identify as this person. And now you're seeing it in college classes and in academia where you go around the room at the beginning of the school year and you introduce yourself, and part of your introduction is you tell people your preferred pronouns. So we could be going out the room this morning, and I would say, my name is Spence McConnell, and I prefer them, they. So anytime you refer to me, you refer to me as them there. I could go around the room and I could say I prefer she or her or him and uh, his and him or whatever that goes. But this identity is fluid in the mind of the world. We have personal identity issues going on. We also have identity issues when it comes to our society. With a, Every time a new president is elected, every time there's new government that is installed, there's always a question about what is the identity going to be? What is the identity of the nation? What is the identity of the military? Right now we're going through a bit of a change here in our community. We have a, a new athletic coaching coming in on board, and so that sport, that program, will have a different identity, different, uh, different direction when it comes to some of the programs at the school, and so they will have different identities. But one common theme that you'll see through all of those situations is, is that when identity is based upon man, 
identity will always be disordered. And I don't want you to miss that because so many times we think that our identity is based upon what I do for a living or what my name is or where I live or who I am married to or what it is that I'm doing in my community. But I want you to hear from me this morning that primarily your identity is not based upon what you spend your day doing. Your identity is based upon who you are in Christ. Now some here this morning, you have never made that decision. You've never come to Christ. You've never placed your faith, your hope in Him. And today is a day that you know that if you were to die today, you would go to hell lost in your sin. And I want you to hear me very clearly this morning that as we go through this passage of 1 Peter, Peter is not referring to you. You need to be saved. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to repent of your sins, confess your sins to Christ, and come to Him. The people that Peter is writing to this morning are those that identify as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. And so church, beyond asking ourselves who we are, well, we're at First Baptist Church Wilson. Okay, who are you? Well, I am a teacher. I am a baker. I am an electrician. I am this. No, who are you? Our identity as a church is not grounded in this facility. Our identity as a church is not grounded in this community. Our identity as a church is not grounded in our professions. Our identity in Christ is grounded in Christ. And I want you to see this with me this morning because it can be very easy for the, the partisanship to come in, the, the competition to come in, or for us to start identifying who we are based upon the world around us instead of based upon the God above us. And so I want you to see with me this identity that we get from Peter because this question of identity is only going to become more and more prevalent in our culture. And if we don't get this settled today about who we are, and if we don't get this settled in our children's lives of who they are, and if we don't teach our children and our young adults, if we aren't grounded in who we are in Christ, then the world will be constantly bombarding us with all kinds of distractions, all kinds of pressures, all kinds of pulls, all kinds of uh, temptations to move us from place to place to place to place. So notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're just going to look at these first two verses this morning. But Peter starts off this letter, starts off writing to these people by identifying who he is. There are some liberal scholars that have come out to try to question the authorship of Peter. But I hold that Peter was the author of this letter. Why? Because it says right at the very beginning, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now who was Peter? Remember Peter was the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Peter was one of the intimates with Jesus Christ during his walk. If you are watching the Chosen Seed, I think they have done a phenomenal job of casting the role of Peter. Somebody that is loyal, somebody that is faithful, but somebody that has a tendency to kind of get, get out of his lane, if you will. Has a tendency to get beyond his responsibility. But Peter was the man, if you remember, that got up during Pentecost and he preached the sermon. He was also the man that got up when the lame beggar was healed there at the temple and people were saved. People got saved by the droves. It was also Peter that was instrumental as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. It was Peter that was used to take the gospel to the Gentiles there in the story of Cornelius. Peter was one of the main church leaders there in Jerusalem after Jesus had left. Peter was a big guy on a big stage serving a big God. 
what he says. This is who I am. I am not ashamed that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed that I identify with Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now you could go in there and you could break that down of what he's saying. He identifies who he is, but more so he identifies who he is in Christ. And notice he says he's an apostle. Now, apostle was not just a believer. Apostle was just not a follower. An apostle was not just a disciple. An apostle was somebody that was lived during the ministry of Jesus Christ, that served alongside Jesus Christ in the ministry, that Jesus had given these supernatural abilities and powers to when it came over the sick and when it came over those that are needing healing and the maladies of the world around them. He had a select number of apostles, and these apostles were then given the charge to go out and to evangelize the known world. And how would you do that well you didn't have a Bible so you can't go and say well if you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 I'll show you what I'm talking about they were by the word of their mouth and so God had given them these supernatural gifts so that they could say hey I serve this God and I'm going to show you because this God gave me this ability to heal a lame man bring somebody back to life heal the sick hey we have had these abilities and that's where that office of apostle comes in so Peter This doesn't identify his name. My name is Spence. But he says, this is who I am. Peter's my name. But I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you ever get excited that you're an apostle of Jesus Christ? Do you ever get excited that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you ever get decided that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you ever get excited that you're part of the kingdom of God? I'm I'm a proud OSU fan. Because God's an OSU fan, and OU fans are just bitter about that, and, I, and I've accepted that. I, I understand that, but I'm a, I'm a proud OSU fan. And down there at Zanus, where I served for a period of time, it never failed. Every time the fall came around, and he always had the Bedlam series. <laughs> I, I, OSU's not good at football. They've never been good at football. I've never made claims that they're good at football. I understand they're the little red stepchild of OU when it comes to football. And so it's like that was the only time of the entire year that those OU fans could get at me. And so it seemed like Every time Bedlam would come around, Sunday these guys would come in all puffed up. Because they're OU fans and their team won. And they were proud to be OU fans. Bless their hearts. They got to have one day out of the year. I, I, I feel for them. That's good. See, Charles, he's, he's, he's already plotting for what's going to happen in November. I can already see it on his face. But one of those things that they got proud, they got excited. They were proud of who they were. Peter was proud of who he was. And church, I think that it's high time that we get excited and we get proud of who we are in Christ. So what does Peter refer to us? How does he identify us? Well, five, five marks that he gives us. There are verse one and verse two. He's gonna give us, he's gonna give us five marks. We're gonna fly through these. I know you're like, oh, this isn't gonna work. I'm just telling you it's gonna work. So he's gonna give us five different marks to identify who we are. You think I am here, I am a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Peter says, This is who you are. And church, I want these to be true about us. I want these identity, identities to be true about us. And instead of people saying, well, what do you do when I'm an electrician? Well, I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a housewife. I work, with, I work for a school. I do this. I, I'm involved in this activity or I'm involved in this hobby or I, I love fishing or I'm a coach or whatever. I want people to know us by Jesus Christ. So he says right there in verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then notice he gets into these five marks of the believer. The first one is that we are chosen for this time. 
chosen for this time. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, notice there in verse 1, he says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And you start reading that and you start following, you, you start looking and go, what in the world is he saying? First of all, what's the dispersion? What, what in the world is the dispersion? Is the dispersion a resort? Is the dispersion an address? Is the dispersion a period of time? The dispersion was just a reference to say that you people that are scattered throughout this area, this geographical area, the dispersion was notified as the Jews or as the Jewish Gentiles that were living in this area known as modern day Kirky, they were known as those living living in the dispersion. So you might say living in Wellston or living in rural Lincoln County or living in the Fallis area. It was just a geographical mention. So when he says to the elect exiles living in or exiles of the dispersion, he's just saying that there is a general geographical area. He follows it up by saying in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And if you were to go back in the back of your Bible where most of you have the maps and you go back and usually have a map that talks about the second or the first and second and maybe even the third mission, missionary journey of Paul, back there you're going to have some maps. And in there it's going to trace where Paul's missionary journey went through. And as he left, Antioch went up to the north-northwest what is now modern day Turkey. That was the areas, the regions known as Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That whole area of modern day Turkey where Paul did much of his missionary journeys through, that's who Peter is writing to. It's not just Jews that he's writing to, he's also writing to Gentiles. But he's writing to them to let them know that God has chosen them for this time. How do you know, Spence? Because notice the language that he uses. He says to those who are elect exiles. And there's a lot of conversation in the church today over this idea of election. A lot of people get crossways and a lot of people get confused what election is, what election isn't. I'm just going to tell you in plain, simple terms, election means that you've been chosen. That you've been chosen by God. You mean God chooses people? Absolutely God chooses people. God chose for you to be here this morning. God chose for you to hear about His Son, Jesus Christ. God chose for you to know that He loves you today. God has chosen us. Hey, He says we are the elect. We're the chosen by God, but also the exiles. The exiles means that we are not just inhabitants. We are not at home. We are foreigners. We're sojourners in this world. He says we have been chosen for this time. We have been selected by God when He says the elect, but He also says the exiles, meaning that we're foreigners in this world. I don't care how long you've lived in Wellston. If you're a Christian, you're a foreigner. What do you mean, Spence? Why am I a foreigner? Because your home is not Wellston. Your home is heaven. You are on this earth for a short period of time, but your residence, your home, your address is not what your mailing address is. It is not where you have your bed. It is not where you and your teddy bear cuddle in at night. Your home is in heaven for the believers. So he says that while you're living in this world, you need to know God has chosen you for this time. I realize a lot of us, we're looking around going, you know, 2020 was a terrible year. COVID and the pandemic and all this stuff. And now 2020 comes around and everybody's like, oh, gloom, misery, agony, oh my. We're all running around like a bunch of Eeyores out of, out of Winnie the Pooh. We're all going around like we're all sad and despair. I want you to know that God has put you here for this time. God has chosen for you to be here. 
He could have chosen a million different other people, but God has chosen you, and God has chosen you to be here. And I want you to know, I want you to hear as we look at this text this morning that God has chosen us for this time. Peter says, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Then he goes on and gives them a second way of identifying themselves. Not only have you been chosen for this time, but you are known by God. You are known by God. Look at verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He says, God knows who you are. How many times do we try to go through the world in a bit of an anonymous state? I don't know if you've ever done this. Hopefully you've never done this. Driving down the highway. Keeping with the flow of traffic. Flow of traffic's a little bit faster than the posted speed limit. But I'm keeping the flow of traffic. Then all of a sudden you see that police officer. <laughs> and you just try to hide in the traffic. <laughs> hope he didn't see me. Hope he didn't signal me out. Hope he didn't, hope he didn't identify my vehicle. We just try to blend in and just try to get along. How many times do you find yourself in a society just trying to be anonymous? Sometimes people like going to churches like that. I like going to churches where it's a big church, it's a big setting, we turn the lights off, we have the spots like coming on me, I've got some skinny jeans on, I've got some spiked hair, and i got this shirt untucked, and I'm going around, and sometimes I'll get me a stool, and I'll have me a little podium here, and we'll have more of a conversation, and, and everybody will be sitting here just all groovy and everything, we'll just do a little 10 minute sermonette, and everybody's happy, and, and, and Greg and the music, that's where the entertainment's at, that's where the fog machine's at, and people come in, and they, one of the things they enjoy about it is the anonymity. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want the preacher calling me and saying, hey, we missed you. I don't want to get a text from the preacher saying, hey, missing you at church. I don't want anybody stopping by my house because I didn't show up for church. I want the anonymity. But I want you to know, church, that every single one of us in this room, we are all known by God. Why are we know my God? Because God created you. God created each and every single one of you. So he says in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now Peter, Peter is writing to a group of people that are struggling. There's all this worldly influence. There's all this sinful deception around them. Persecution was taking place. Obstacles were taking place. People were in opposition against them. All things are bombarding and these people are sitting there going, what does it look like? What does it mean to be a Christian in this time? So Peter is writing to remind them that, hey, your Christianity is not based upon the identity of man. Your Christianity is not based upon the identity of this world. Your identity is not based upon human public popularity or perception. Your identity is based upon Christ. So you need to know you've been chosen for this time and you are known by God. Which means what? It means that God knows more than we know. It means that God knows more than we know. So maybe God knows what he's going to do with 2021. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with your jerk employer. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with your hard to get along with coworker. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with this sickness. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with this obstacle. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with this COVID pandemic. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with President Biden. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with our government and our legislators. Maybe God knows what he's going to do with this community and these people. Maybe God knows more than we know. And maybe God sees more than we see. He says right there in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. What Peter is saying is that when you come to Christ, you don't have to have all the answers. 
God does. I don't know about you, but when it comes time to taking family trips, I like to have it all figured out. Leslie and Tucker and myself and Jaylene, years ago we went to Dallas and but my personality is I had like three different sets of driving directions. When we get there, this is how we're going to navigate the Dallas-Fort Worth area and this is what we're going to do and I had all these driving directions and all this stuff pulled out and we get down there and Tucker pulls out this tom-tom. And I was like, what is that? He's like, that's all you need. That's it. That's it. This is before the smartphones. This is before all the GPS. And he pulled that thing out. I was like, no. And I had a whole stack of papers. I mean, it looked like one of these songbooks running there. I had these old stack of papers with maps and information and all this stuff. And Tucker pulls out this tom-tom and said, that's it. And I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. It can't be that easy. And he's like, oh, you just watch. Your life's going to be changed forever, ever, ever more. So he pulls out this tom-tom. We are trying to get from this place to that place. And that thing gives me turn-by-turn navigation. It even had a, like a Mr. Ice-T. Remember the character? from the, uh, it wasn't the character, but remember Ice, T, Mr. T, Mr. T had, had the Mr. T voice and so he, he would tell you, turn left, fool, and he would have all this stuff, and so we were sitting there driving through Dallas-Fort Worth area with Mr. T telling us how to drive and I thought, this is wonderful. If we make a wrong turn, it's Mr. T's fault. <laughs> and nobody's going to get upset at Mr. T. No fighting between the husband and the wife because she missed the turn because she didn't figure out where she was going. I mean, it was wonderful. And I looked at all these papers and said, I don't need all these papers. Why? Because Tucker had the $4 to know that this tom-tom was enough. And I wonder how many times in our daily lives we're all getting worked up, freaked out, stressed out, anxious about what is going on in our daily lives. And God is sitting there going, I already know. And I've got it taken care of church sometimes we just need to remember that we're known by God God hasn't forgotten about us God hasn't turned his back on us God isn't ignoring us God isn't uh, initially trying to uh, be mean to us God knows because we are known by God which leads us to the third one he says there in verse 2 the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit what Peter is saying is our identity is not just that we're chosen by God or known by God it's that we're sanctified through the Spirit of God sanctified through the Spirit of God. Now what does it mean sanctification? Sanctification means that we're being set apart. Sanctification is the act by which we go from a state of lostness to growth and maturity as a believer. It's a transitional program. This church went through a time of transition. One pastor to another pastor. And there was a time of exercise. There was a time of healing. There was a time of discussions. There was a time of working through different issues and working through different ideas and visions. All that time was a time of transitions that you're going from one place to another place. This idea of sanctification is that once you pray, you receive Christ, you place your hope and your trust in Him. It's not, boom, you're a grown-up, believe, uh, mature believer. There's a process of sanctification. And every single one of us in this church are going through some process of sanctification. Sometimes that process looks like developing the habit of the daily quiet time with the God. It's a process of sanctification. That's called discipline. Sometimes it's getting in the habit of coming to church. Well, I don't want you to be legalistic about church, Vince. I'm not legalistic about church, but the coach isn't called legalistic when he asks players to show for practice. Your employer is not considered legalistic when he asks for you to show up for work. There's a certain amount of edification. There's a certain amount of benefit when you show up and you're with God's people. Focusing on God. 
And that's a, that's a moment, that's a point of sanctification. And I put there in your note, the Spirit convicts and the Spirit transforms. So he reminds us there in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So every single one of us in this room that are saved, born again, we are all in one stage or another in a progressive sanctification. Now I realize that we have some people in this room that are chronologically older than their spiritual ages. And I get that. But the idea is that we submit ourselves to the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit not just convicts and transforms, but that Holy Spirit then empowers and directs us. That Holy Spirit is what enables us to live the faithful Christian life. And so Peter wants to remind us that our identity is that we have been sanctified through the Spirit or we are being sanctified through the Spirit of God. That we are being sanctified on a regular basis. So the question that we could ask ourselves is, is how am I being sanctified? you see the stats when it comes to sports and I was Eli's age I used to love to collect the sports trading cards and I had the tops and I had the Dan Foss and I had all the players cards you can get on there and they'd have the stats and especially in the baseball cards that he had he had so many ERAs and he had so many at-bats and he had so many RBIs and you can see the stats and they had the stats from this year and they had the stats from the previous year and the previous two years and the previous three years and people will sit down you can find TV stations channels on XM radio radio stations all that and all they want to do is talk about the past the past the past the past all they want to do is talk about his stats and his stats and this and this and blah 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 and all they want to do is talk about the numbers and Brothers and sisters, you and I may get tired of it. You may love it. But what Peter is saying is is that there should be some form of progression in our lives. You know, this is where I was at five years ago, but God has brought me forward. This is where I was at six months ago, but this is what God is doing in my life now. This was my behavior. This was my actions. This was my attitude a year ago. But God is working away. God is chipping away. God is reforming me. God is transforming me. God is molding me more into the image of His Son. There should be that moment of sanctification. So Peter says that should be who you are. Not only that you've been chosen for this time, but you're known by God and that you're being sanctified through the Spirit. Not sanctified through an organization. Not sanctified through a political figure or a personality. Not sanctified by some uh, parachurch, parachurch methodology. But we're being sanctified through the Spirit. And then he goes on to the fourth one. He says in sanctification of the Spirit there in verse 2. And then he goes on and he says for obedience to Jesus Christ. And that's where we get hung up at. Because a lot of times we're willing to come to church and we're willing to stand up and we're willing to sit down until someone tells us there's an expectation upon us. No, 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 Spence. I, I just want to come to church. But I don't want there to be any demands. I don't want there to be any expectations. I don't want there to be any kind of accountability when I come to church. David says something this morning in Sunday school about fact-checking me or him. And, and David asked me after Sunday school, does that bother me? It doesn't bother me at all. Fact check me all you want. Correct me. All I need. I need help. None of us are above reproach. None of us are infallible. None of us are inerrant. None of us never err or make a mistake. Every single one of us. Now, I would appreciate if you would do it in love. I would appreciate if you would do it with a spirit of charity. I appreciate if you would do it in kindness. But at the same time, we all 
need to understand that accountability is not a burden. Accountability is a gift from God. So what Paul says is that not only are we sanctified through the Spirit, but we're obedient to Christ. That's why he says there, for obedience to Jesus Christ. There's an expectation there that when you identify as a Christian, that you're being obedient to Jesus Christ. You're not being obedient to First Baptist Church Wilson. You're not being obedient to Preacher Spence. You're not being obedient to a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. You're not being obedient to a tradition. You're not being obedient to a methodology. You're not being obedient to a clique of people. You're not being obedient to a bigger denomination. You are being obedient to Christ. Why? Because who saved you? We have too much of this going on today where everybody follows a person instead of follows a savior. But what have we been, and I put this in your notes, what have you been saved from? You've been saved from your state of lostness. What have we been saved by? We've been saved by the penalty and the the, the atonement of Jesus Christ. And what have we been saved for? We have not been saved to be robots or to save to follow a person or to be saved by just being a groupie or in a clique. We've been saved for giving glory to God. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple simply means that you're a follower of someone. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you're not a follower of Spence. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a believer? A believer means that we have belief in something. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you believe in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our identity is not based upon the sign outside the building. Our identity is not based upon the leadership and organization. Our identity is based upon Christ. And how do we demonstrate our identity? By who we follow. By who we're obedient to. In the morning times, Jelly and I will be up. And these boys will start to wake up. And they'll kind of meander their way in there. And they're groggy and they're tired. And of course the older boys, they've gotten out of that stage. But Luke will come, or Ezra will come in there. Three years old, and he'll come in there, and he'll come. In, he'll usually have his teddy bear in tow, maybe a blanket, and he'll come walling and then in there. <clears throat> and his mother and I play a game with him, and we'll both say, "Come here, come here. We'll love on you." And that dirty rascal, <laughs> the majority of the time, he'll look at me, and then he'll look at his mama, and he'll go to his mama. what is he showing? He's showing his affection. He's showing his priorities. He's showing his development. He's showing his commitment. He's showing what matters to him. Now let's just pan this out a little bit and think about our daily lives. We get up with the same amount of minutes every single day. We start the week with the same amount of minutes and hours every single week. We start with a certain number of resources, whether it is financial, whether it is talent, whether it is ability. We start off with the same number of resources and talents every single week. And we are sitting there and we are looking. And we're looking at the church and we're looking at God and we're looking at the things that Christ wants us to do and we're looking at that and then we're looking at the world. And we're deciding whether I'm going to spend more time, more resources over here for the world or am I going to spend them over here for God. And we're getting up there in the mornings and we're looking at those decisions. You wake up in the morning and you go, oh, what am I going to do with my time? Am I going to spend my time in the God's Word and studying God's Word and understanding God's Word? Am I going to invest that time in prayer or the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get up and look at that phone 
devote myself to that phone, commit myself to that phone. The question is, is what are we doing with our time? Is our obedience to Christ evident in what we do with our lives? So Peter says, your identity, your identity is not just that you've been chosen for this time, not that you've been known by God, sanctified through the Spirit, obedient to Christ, but then notice this last one. If you haven't heard another word that I've said, I hope that you listen to this. He says, for obedience, and I'm here in verse 2, for obedience to Christ Jesus, for sprinkling with His blood. It can be so easy for us to read and just pass over some of this stuff, but if if you spend no time, just listen to this portion. Sprinkled with His blood. Let me just think about this for a few months. I still got some minutes left. Just think about this. If you're going to be sprinkled with His blood, what does that mean? Well, first of all, if you're going to have blood, if you're going to have the blood that is going to be sprinkled in anything, blood is most likely going to require death. So in order to have some amount of blood, some quantity of blood to sprinkle, requires that something had to die. And what is this a reference to? What is this an allusion to? This is Peter is taking those readers, those individuals there in modern day Turkey, he's taking them back to the Old Testament imagery. Because in the Old Testament, when you had sinned, when you had committed a sin before God or before someone else, and you needed to be atoned for that sin, you needed to be forgiven of that sin. There wasn't going to the to going directly to Jesus and saying, I need to be forgiven of my sin. There wasn't going to a priest. There wasn't going to an intermediary. There wasn't some place that you could send off with some money and get some type of get out of sin free card. It wasn't anything like that. You had to go before the altar of God and you had to offer a sacrifice. You had to offer the sacrifice of an animal. You had to offer a grain sacrifice. You had to offer some type of offering or some type of sacrifice. And most common, the sacrifice that was made is you would bring that lamb before the Lord. You would kill that lamb. You would use that blood and then you would that th- those things that needed to be forgiven or atoned for, they would sprinkle that blood on. And it was symbolic of the blood that death covering atoning for the sins of that person. So if you go back to the Old Testament and you see where Aaron is consecrated and put apart, Moses takes some blood of that animal and puts it on the ear and puts it on the toe and puts it on the thumb as a way of sanctifying cleansing Aaron for the duty of the priesthood. So as Peter is writing this, he's taking them back to this illusion that, hey Christian, hey believer, hey follower of Jesus Christ, hey church member, do you not know that you have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ? Now I realize you're going, what in the world are you talking about? Here's what I'm asking, here's what I'm saying, that you were worthy of sacrifice. That you were worthy of sacrifice. What do you mean, Spence? Well, not only do we know that, understand that blood requires death, but he is saying that you have been sprinkled. You have been sprinkled with his blood. Now, it is not, it is not uh, literally, it's more figuratively, but the idea that when Christ went, when Christ came to this earth and he lived this sinful, sinless life, and when he died on the cross, and there as he died on the cross, he was bleeding. And that blood was being shed for my sins. That blood was being shed for your sins. When they pierced his side with the sword and the water of the blood came out, that was him giving up his life because of our sin. 
His life was given. That death was given on, by, on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin. He was taken from the cross. He was put in the grave. Three days later, out of the tomb, he came alive, resurrected, defeating death. But we understand that for that atonement of sin to take place, a death had to occur. Blood had to be shed. And in a figurative sense, when Jesus died on the cross, he took his blood and sprinkled it on us to put the penalty for our sins. You may say, well, Spence, who cares about that? Who cares about that? The difference between life and death, the difference between heaven and hell, the difference of eternity in heaven or eternity in hell is not your goodness, not your good works, not your intelligence, not your 401k, not your money, not your possessions, not anything of you. The difference is because Christ died and shed his blood for you, which means that we do not earn our worth. I realize this world is so adept at trying to say that your self-esteem and your self-worth and your identity is based upon what you can do or what people think about what you can do or what you can do for someone lately. That is not your identity. Your identity is not based upon your money or the kind of vehicle you drive or where you've been. Your identity is based upon Christ. It doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about your perfection. It doesn't matter about your blamelessness. It doesn't matter about your mistakes. It doesn't matter about your good works. All that matters is, is that God chose you, that God knew you, and that God deemed you worthy enough to send His Son to die for you. And so what Peter is saying is that we have been sprinkled with His blood. Let me ask you, what is grace and mercy worth? I can't go buy it on the shelf. Can't order it out of a Sears or Roebuck catalog. I can't go dig it up. I can't go fishing for it. I can't catch it in midair. What is grace and mercy worth? Because whatever grace and mercy is worth is what you owe Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, grace and mercy is priceless. It is timeless. You cannot do enough to earn grace and mercy. So Peter is writing to tell them, do you not understand that you are worthy? You are worthy in the eyes of God. You are worthy in the eyes of Christ. You are worthy for Christ to die for you. We have so many people today that are struggling with self-worth. They're struggling with feeling like they're enough. They're struggling with feeling they're in, are they adequate enough. Sunday school teachers will finish their Sunday school time and they feel like that was a dud. Preachers will get up and I don't you probably have a hard time imagining this. I'm just going to tell you, there's, I've done it before. Preachers get up and they feel like the words that are coming out of their mouth are just dribbling down the, dribbling down the floor. Sometimes I feel like they're just coming out of the blue. Everybody's asleep. Everybody's not paying attention. Everybody's looking down their phones. Everybody's just checked out, tuned out. And sometimes you get up here and you're just like, I'm not doing any good. I want you to know that my worth is not dependent upon your response. My worth is identified and centered in what Christ has done for me. So it doesn't matter about how much money I make. It doesn't matter what kind of house I live in. It doesn't matter about what kind of a man I am and how good I am or what I've done for you lately. My identity, my worth is based upon Christ. And so Peter comes in and he wants to remind the church, church, your identity is not based upon numbers. Your identity is not based upon budgets. Your identity is not based upon buildings. Your identity is not based upon the things that the world looks at to divine to success. Your identity is based upon Christ. And 
every single one of us in this room, God has deemed worthy to send his son for. So when you get up in the morning, what is that song? I'm a child of the one true king. I get up in the morning and my identity is not based upon my electrical vocation. My identity is not based upon my address. My identity is not based upon my academic achievements or failures. My identity is not based upon your opinion. My identity is not based upon my perfection. My identity is not based upon anything in this world. My identity is based upon Christ. And church, who we are is not to be defined by a denomination. It is not to be defined by a community. It's not to be defined by a personality. It's not to be defined by anything other than Christ. So who are you? The last part of verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's writing this to say, I want you to know that I don't need you to have success. I don't need you to have ease of life. I don't want you to have lots of friends and be able to influence lots of people. I don't need you to have big buildings. I don't need you to have lots of, uh, lots of uh, budgets. I don't need you to have all of those things the world says. I want you to know that grace and peace, grace and peace has been multiplied to you. So who are you? Just three quick ways and we'll be done here this morning. But just asking the question, who are, you? who are you? Now I realize that some of these, you've heard these before, but we need to hear these over and over and over and over again. The first one I want you to, rem- worst one I remind you of is that God has a plan for your life. You say, I know God has a plan for my life, Spence. Well, then what's that plan? I realize that you get up and you have a lot of plans for your life. And you get up and you have a lot of things to do. You have a lot of things going on. You have a lot of things that you want to put on your list. But God has a plan for your life. Are you following God's plan? Someone in the room this morning may say, well, I don't know what God's plan is for my life, Spence. Well, I would love to sit down and show you what God's plan is for your life. You mean you know what my specific plan is? No, but there's some general plans that has for everybody. Glorify God. Worship God. Tell people about Jesus. Serve. Sacrifice. Follow. Obey. Grow. Be sanctified, all those things that are there. You may not know your, your specific plan. You want to know exactly what color of socks you're supposed to wear in the morning. I can't help you with that. But I can tell you what God wants you to do with your time tomorrow. Whether you eat or drink, whether you sleep, whatever you do, all to the glory of God. I, I can tell you that God has a plan for your life. It's not just a male plan. It's not just a female plan. It's not just an adult plan. It's not just a adult plan. It's not just a child plan. I'm going to tell you that every single person from Micah to the most advanced senior person in the room, every single person, God has a plan for you. And you may say, well, Spence, I'm in that season of life that I'm done. I'm retired. There is no such thing as retiring from the kingdom of God. You may retire from GM. You may retire from Wayne County Farm Center, you may retire from Wilson Schools. I don't know where you're retiring from. You can retire vocationally all you want. You never retire from service to the kingdom of God. Ever. So that means no matter what age you are, from Micah all the way up, God has a plan for you. And not only that, but number two there you see in the list, God knows you. When you think about who you are, I want you to leave this morning knowing. My name isn't Spence. 
name is Spence, who God has a plan for. My name is Spence, who God knows. God knows you. You say, well, Spence, why does that make such a difference? Because God knows you individually. Because God has a plan for you. God has expectations for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a calling for you. God has these things in full for you. And as you're just not a number, you're just not anonymous, God knows you. And one day you're going to stand before God. And God's not going to say next. Number 3,565 and 43, you're next. You're going to step forward and he's going to say, Spence, what have you done? He knows you by name. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows the people that he brought in your path. He knows the resources he has given you. He's known the opportunities that he's placed in front of you. God knows you. Do you know God? Well, I know about God. I know that there is a God. No, no, no. I, know, I understand that. Do you know God? Well, how do I know God? You spend time with God. You invest in your time with God. You pursue after God. You're devoted to God. You're committed to God. You want to know more of God than you know of anything else in this world. God knows you. Do you know God? And this last one, we're done. We have a kingdom identity. We we, this room, we have a kingdom identity. And this isn't an individual church issue. This is a kingdom issue. We have an identity. We spend so much time trying to separate ourselves from other faithful Christians. <laughs> Why do we think that we can accomplish more apart than we can together? Why do we think the infighting will help lead us to greater heights? I realize when it comes to the sports world, we got to have a little certain amount of competition. And I understand in the sports world, we got to have a certain amount of rivalry. And Charles and I will tease each other about OU and OSU. We'll talk about football. But at the end of the day, the whole game of football is team against team. Do you not understand that if football was reversed and now it was against light versus darkness, Charles and I would be on the same team because we're both chasing darkness. We're both taking the light of Jesus Christ and trying to advance against darkness. So if you stand up and you say, I've got the light, the truth of God's word, we're on the same team. And brothers and sisters, we have a kingdom identity, not a church-based identity, not a denominational identity, not a personal identity. We have a kingdom identity. Peter comes in and says, this is who I am. I am Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you this morning is who are you? You bow your heads with me.